So tell me what you all each have for breakfast today so I can just get proper levels here. Uh, toast. Okay. Keep Coffee. Talking. Keep talking. Peanut butter. Peanut butter? Okay. With sardines on it. Okay. And hot chili paste. There we go. All right. You probably and did. And dog meat. <laughs> you probably did have hot chili paste on your breakfast. Jay no, but I did, I did the dog meat, yeah. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. Just Kenny here, where I'm flying solo. I actually happened to be up in Northern Kentucky and shot an email off to a, a new distillery that's been around, I should say new, been around for a few years now. And I, I really wanted to come here because I, I've been to Northern Kentucky quite a few times. I've got my brother and the sister-in-law that live up here. And go over the Rhine. There's there's plenty of great places to eat in Northern Kentucky. So if you do come to Northern Kentucky, always check out the food scene because it's actually incredible. But you know, there's always a, a spot where you want to come to when you come to Northern Kentucky, and that's the party source because it's one of those staple uh, liquor stores that has 
Uh, it's one of the few in the country that has every single Four Roses single barrel pick. They've got picks for everything. And they also uh, have the, the the guests that we have on today always in stock. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic place and I always encourage you to come visit. But the one thing that really always catches my eye is that you can drive by in the party source and you see this column still that's coming from this building right next door. And it's so intriguing and it's beautiful. And so that was really one of the big reasons why I wanted to bring in our guest today. So if you don't know, our guests... Uh, are from New Rift Distillery. We've got Jay Arisman, who's the Vice President, Distiller and Strategic Development, and also Hannah Lowen, the General Manager. So, Hannah and Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kenny. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, uh, I'm, actually, this this all kind of happened because I ended up meeting uh, a few folks from New Rift at the Bourbon Affair this past year, and we got to, I got to sample some OKI, and we'll talk about that in a little bit of what that is. And I was like, okay, we gotta we gotta get these people on the show because they have a pretty decent, good product, right? Some of these craft distilleries that come out, it's you're like, okay. Could use a little bit more age, but you know, there's some that are coming out that you're like, okay, this is this is something that that is really kind of special. So before we get talking about that, I want to talk about you all first. Uh, so Hannah, kind of tell us about like what got you into maybe like brown spirits, bourbon, whiskey in general. Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> my path to my career in this stuff is, I guess, kind of parallel to my path in drinking it, which is you know, drank a lot of beer in college and uh, had the opportunity to do some traveling abroad and realize there's actually good beer. That, that you <laughs> not Bud Light, be, right? right? Not yeah. just, yeah. Well, I went to school in Wisconsin, so it was like Schlitz. Oh, line of Kugel, right? right? Um, so I started learning more about beer. And I think with a lot of people, once you do that, you realize, wow, this stuff is made by humans and there's variety and what it's made of. And um, I grew up in Louisville, so I know you did too. We can talk about that off the podcast, um, started paying attention to bourbon and rye and learning more about that. So that was all kind of happening in my regular life. And then, uh, I was actually working in political organizing out on the West coast, um, for a nonprofit out there. And I know our owner from Louisville and he literally called me out of the blue. I was actually living in Buenos Aires at the time. And he was like, Hey, I'm opening this distillery. What are you doing? To which, of course, any sane per- person's answer is, oh, I'll be right there. Um, and and came back and, you know, just kind of signed on to this crazy idea. This was long before the building was under construction and said, yeah, I want to be a part of it and have kind of grown into the role here as, as GM, do a little bit of everything. But um, my interest in drinking bourbon was growing as this job was developing and it has certainly expanded and um, love it more than ever and have learned a ton. I mean, was not making whiskey, was not managing a bourbon distillery before this job. So as you'll hear as we talk, that's a, a common thread around here. Throw into the wolves. As Throw into the wolves, the, yeah, is the which is really you know the most fun to build something from the ground up, which has been really a pleasure. Absolutely. So Jay, what about you? Well, um, I, uh, I, I, it, it directly leading to this, worked uh, in the fine spirits uh, realm at the party source from 2001 until we opened uh, New Riff in 2014. And uh, in that position, uh, got to enjoy really intimate work with Kentucky's great distilleries, um, helping them sometimes launch new products and coming up with our own new products. And by virtue of being a very large store in Kentucky and really in the world, in, in the nation, but located here in Kentucky, we, we were the, the, the a sort of 
test bed sometimes for those kind of things. So we got to look sort of up close and personal about uh, not just selecting a barrel or or learning about the grain bill, but really how this stuff is made on a, on a more intimate basis. And uh, that program sort of morphed into the possibility of maybe we could do this ourselves. But prior to that, I've, I've been a, a whiskey lover and, and learner since um, I probably shouldn't say <laughs> the specific age at which that began due to, um, you know, smart responsibility codes and things like that. But, but it was, uh, it was at a, a comparatively young age or so it seems now. Uh, and I, 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 I collected whiskey all those years and learned about it and read about it. Um, I became uh, a writer as well of, about whiskey. I used to write for Whiskey Advocate magazine uh, before I started this. And uh, so uh, I, I guess I come to this from a, uh, a bit of a historical, critical, and certainly a retail side of things as well. I'm an old home brewer also. So I had, uh, you know, under my belt, the sort of basics of of fermentation and alcoholic beverage production, uh, I equally learned learned it about wine and and uh, uh, beer. I'm uh, I'm omnibibulous. I drink everything. You know? um, Equal opportunity drinker. Yeah, we but, call we call Jay our, our whiskey man. I'm the whiskey man. That probably best describes what I do here. Yeah, there, there's formal titles, but uh, helping underpin all aspects of the whiskey from from the grains that I help source, uh, including heirloom uh, grain uh, uh, strains of corn to uh, to the, the you know the, the final barrel we're using, and ultimately the selection of the of the finished products. But like all of us, I had never actually distilled anything. I, I, I half wish that I could say I ran a still in college. You know what? I never did that. Uh, I, I never did go and, and become one of those home distillers or something. Home brewing, yes. I never did any home distillation. So all of us put together here, including today our brilliant head distiller uh, and production manager, Brian Sprantz. He came to us from the Boston Beer Company. He'd never distilled a drop in his life either. He didn't know anything about whiskey. He knew all about fermentation and running an alcoholic beverage production facility and pumps and gaskets and, and that kind of a world. Uh, but we opened this place and none of us had distilled a drop. Well, it's kind of funny because, I mean, as everybody kind of knows, you have to make beer before you make whiskey, right? That's just part of the process. Yep. Yeah. And it's, you know, we think it's worked out. We'll see here in a couple of years when everything's released, but the way it's going now, you know, we think it's a pretty smart idea. And you've actually seen in the craft distilling world, I'm not saying we started this trend by any means, but there have now been a few other kind of larger craft distilleries who have followed that model of picking up a brewer just because you have the first half of the process down. I mean, at least they understand fermentation um, and have the creativity of the craft brewing world where people are using crazy malts, you know, this huge variety, and they're bringing that to distilling. And I think the craft, craft you know, side of the industry is kind of pushing that edge. Right. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of New Riff. Kind of talk yeah. about how this started. What was the harebrained idea behind it? That's Erisman. That's all you. It, it was <laughs> harebrained, I think. Um, you know, to be honest, it was it was not specifically my idea. I never sat down with the owner of the party source and said, Ken, let's build a 
$10 million distillery, he probably fired me or smacked me in the head or something. But uh, he came up one day with the notion of, of uh, maybe we could build a distillery. And Ken's, an, at, at, at the end of the day, he is an entrepreneur at heart. He's not a whiskey expert. He, he enjoys a little whiskey here and there, but, but he's an entrepreneur um, and felt the bug after... 40 odd years in, in retailing, uh, liquor and wine and beer and even setting a lot of trends and, and becoming a, an influential person in that industry felt the bug to do something new. And so, uh, we built a new riff here, uh, on this campus shared with, with the party source, uh, to make it into a campus and, and a real, not just a, a destination for retail, but also for, uh, for production for the first tier of this industry. And obviously it's a great location for, uh, tourism and, and accessibility, uh, and being an urban distillery. We, we identify as, as an urban place. We are not out in the country in an old barn. That's a great way to make a distillery. We wanted to do it here in, in, in the urban center. So we are yards from the Ohio River, uh, right across from downtown Cincinnati. And uh, uh, part of our sort of new identity, I suppose, is that of an urban distillery. And an urban you know, column still distillery. It's not, uh, not a little tiny pot still cranking out a little spirits once a week. Um, yeah, I'd like so, to, we're going to talk a little bit more about like what makes it unique by being the process in there. Yeah. In the city. Yeah. We, were, we were birthed out of a retail experience and out of, uh, uh, long expertise in that, I suppose. The two businesses, by the way, I should note are today totally separate. Uh, in order to own New Rift Distilling, the owner, Ken Lewis, had to sell, uh, the party source to own this. He actually sold it to his employees. It's now an employee-owned uh, liquor store, and and probably once again the physically largest liquor store in the country. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty big. So they're, they're uh, a good customer, but that's what yeah, they are doing yeah, to exactly. us is, yeah. is a customer and, and friends too. But, yeah, and you but, can just you can just really all kind of just walk it over there, right? You run a little low. Yeah. If we need a six pack, it's not far. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's. I think despite their you know independent operations, a lot of Greater Cincinnati and people from all over, like Jay is saying, they see it as a campus, and we always joke around that it's like adult candy land. I mean, we have so many customers that come to us because they were stopping by or they're here and they're interested in purchasing something. And, you know, we're like, they have an amazing whiskey bar. Go see what, you know, is available. So I think for a lot of folks, you know, if you drink alcohol, this is a pretty good, you know, acre to land on. (laughs) (laughs) So talk about the story behind the name of New Riff. What is New Riff like in bed? Like what, what does it mean? Well, you know, actually it's, it's a musical reference. We try not to hit that over the head too often, but it's like a guitar riff. So, you know, bourbon is a song that's been played for literally hundreds of years. And, uh, you know, we certainly didn't write that song, but we're kind of putting our own riff on it. We're doing a, our own little ditty on a, on a tradition that has been happening in Northern Kentucky, Kentucky for literally a long, long time. And so that's this Thing that Jay was alluding to that we do some things very traditionally, we distill on a column, our bourbon and rye, you know, are not wild quinoa spelt thing. Like this is traditional bourbon and rye whiskey, but a lot of the other stuff we do, the way we present ourselves and um, just that it's a, it's a new riff on an old tradition is, is the core of it. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that 
we say on tours, like no one's grandparents were distillers out in the holler. That's just not who we are. Like we're kind of a bunch of city kids who happen to be uh, Kentucky based. And thus you've got this kind of juxtaposition of, you know, history and modernity and the North and the South. I mean, we're literally on the Mason. We're a hundred yards from the Mason Dixon line. So um, it's that play on the transitional edge of new and old and east and west and north and south. And um, for us, that's fun. And it's it's a real story, which is nice. It's um, we didn't kind of create a back. We could have called it Old Lewis Creek or Newport Distilling Company, but that's not really who we are. We're we're, uh, you know, a little bit experimental, a little bit traditional all about quality and um you know not to mention that ken is an old deadhead so i think the, I think the <laughs> guitar thing played in deep deep no there doubt. too i thought it was going to be some like cincinnati term that i'd never heard before like if for anybody who doesn't know like there's this thing called getta that's around here right. and like it's like the most popular thing but for anybody that doesn't know it's like it's like sausage mixed with oats but it's, it's i don't know you call it the cincinnati it's tree peasant breakfast there it's you delicious. Go. but everybody <laughs> loves it everybody yeah. loves it so the next part i want to talk about um is is the different stills you have going on. Jay was actually able to take me around a little bit. Uh, I saw a few different ones, you know, it's just not your, your standard column still that's here. You got a few different things going on. So kind of talk about that and the different kind of spirits that come out of each one of them as well. Sure. Um, the stills that we looked at, uh, Kenny, we have three stills. When I actually count them all up of how many stills we have in the building that are reported to the federal government that we own them and all of the stills are reported. I don't mean <laughs> that we have some closet operation going on. Uh, we actually have a little tiny 10 liter Alembic still next door in our in our laboratory that lets us proof up little things on the bench top. So that's the, the very smallest still. <laughs> but the ones we showed you uh, are three different stills in our still tower comprising two different uh, discrete systems. Um, there is a 500 gallon pot still, and all of this, is, by the way, is made by Vendome, the coppersmith out of Louisville, the, the suppliers to the uh, American distillation industry and, and certainly to the bourbon industry. So Vendome made all of our stills, uh, except for the little baby one that came from Portugal. But anyway. So we have a 500-gallon pot still in there that has distilled whiskey. It's distilled brandy. We will distill lots of more things on it in the future. But primarily what that makes for us on, a, on an ongoing basis is our gin, Kentucky wild gin that features uh, local wild harvested botanicals. So that's really our gin still. Uh, what makes the whiskey and is the, the pride and the glory and the, the big sexy piece of column is uh, is our column still, our beer still that feeds a doubler. And that's the, the classic Kentucky setup. When we conceived of New Riff, we did not at all come at it from the, the, the point of view or the attitude that I sometimes hear in craft distilling circles that pot stills are better. Uh, you know, column stills are okay, but really, if you want really good stuff, you better use a pot still. Not true. We believe them to be merely different ways of making whiskey. And we had a, a, a hunch, you know, a belief that the Kentucky regimen of whiskey production, let's call it Kentucky sour mash whiskey, which comprises the use of sour mash in the production. Uh, it comprises open fermentations that include lactic acid and other bacteriological fermentations going along with the yeast. It includes distillation of the whole grains all the way through a copper beer still. It includes a copper doubler 
uh, that uh, that does not take any heads cut or anything like that. This entire regimen, uh, we had a belief, was a perfectly great way to make whiskey. It's the Kentucky way of making whiskey. In living memory, it hadn't really been made differently uh, until, I suppose, Woodford Reserve opened in the mid-90s and they had pot stills. But we wanted a classic Kentucky setup, and we wanted to see where that would take us. And so we installed a 24-inch diameter beer still. It's about 58, maybe 60 feet tall. You know all these column stills that they have in all of the Kentucky distilleries, they don't really get taller. The one at Buffalo Trace, for example, is just about as tall as, as ours, uh, except that theirs is six feet in diameter. They get larger <laughs> by diameter. So, so we, have, uh, a, uh, uh, we have our, our master distiller consultant, uh, you know, playfully describes it as a pencil <laughs> of, a, of a column still. And so we have that digesting uh, the, the fermented uh, distiller's beer, and that feeds a doubler. And uh, not a thumper, but a doubler. We, we do condense the liquid before it goes into the doubler. And so we have a doubler that pumps it all out in, in classic fashion. Yeah, I mean, we... Uh we find ourselves in a size-wise, this funny middle ground that we always say we're very big for a little guy and we're very little for a big guy. And being a craft distillery, which I'm not sure we actually even fit that definition, yeah. we fancy ourselves an independent distillery, a mid-major, you know, compared to lots of our colleagues in the craft distilling world, they come in, they visit, and they're like, oh my God, you have a giant column still. Yeah, if you're, you know, Jim Beam, you're like, oh... It's, it's so it's, cute. It's, it's like a little toy column still. So <laughs> it's um, adorable. That that kind of line of thinking happens with a lot of stuff with us is that depending on who you're talking to, we're this enormous operation or we're, you know, cute and quaint and little. It just it, in Kentucky, compared to the big bourbon distilleries, we're a little guy. Compared to our craft folks, you know, there's like 5,000 craft distilleries in the US now. We're, you know, almost at the very top percentage size wise. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So I think I might have jumped the gun a little bit because you guys also have a, a pretty unique product for the grain process as well, right? As we kind of saw during the uh, when you took me around. So kind of talk a little bit about that. 
about our grains. Um, well, uh, our, our grain setup is silos full of corn and rye and malted barley, distiller's malt, actually. And we get those delivered in truckloads, um, which speaks a little bit to the sizing of the distillery. We're, like Hannah was saying, in, in the scheme of things, we're actually a pretty small distillery. But we are sized to, to operate at sort of a, a, a maximum level of efficiency but as small as that can be, by which I mean when we receive grain, we get a full truckload, about 50,000 pounds of corn or rye or barley. And that we can't receive more than that at any one time. But we are big enough to receive that much. You know, we're not receiving pallets of, of corn. You know, we don't we don't operate on that that sort of very small scale. So we we are large and mechanized, but only as big as we have to be to get a fifty thousand pound full truckload of, of corn. So corn and rye and malted barley are in silos and those feed our roller mill. We have one mill. We didn't have room for multiple mills. It didn't hurt the budget either to only have to buy one mill. So unlike some distilleries that have multiple hammer mills, we only have one roller mill. But we also wanted a mill that could be adjusted and quickly adjusted to to grind any grain because we have a third, uh, I should say a fourth grain supply, and that is uh, we have a, a side conveyor. If you come and take a tour, one of our free tours here at New Riff, you can see all of this, but we have a basically a, a dumping box where we can open a 50-pound bag of grain and basically dump it into the process. And that means we can make any grain bill that we want if we just dump bags in there. So we have made a weeded bourbon, for example. We don't have a silo of wheat, but we can dump bags of wheat into the process. We've made chocolate oatmeal bourbon where we put in some oats and, and uh, chocolate malt, this heavily roasted malt, uh, kind of mimicking how you would make a chocolate stout, an oatmeal stout, for example. So uh, we have complete flexibility at the end of the day for grain bills. One of our uh, whiskeys and one of our main whiskeys that we make once a month is a 100% malted rye whiskey. And for that, we bring in 2,000 bag, 2,000 pound bags of malted rye it might be the best stuff we make. Yeah. We have to wait and find out though, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of this building was set up, you know, you look at distilleries that have at least decades old, let alone century old histories. It's an advantage and a disadvantage to start from scratch because, you know, you don't want to hem yourself into anything at year zero. So a lot of the stuff in the distillery, the physical attributes of it are built for flexibility. That side conveyor is just one example of us kind of thinking, all right, well, we might not do that now, but like, we're not going to build another distillery. So what does it look like 10 years down the road? What does it look like 20 years down the road? And that's a very different perspective. We joke around about that here all the time. We call it your bourbon goggles, where you have to put on the bourbon goggles, which does not mean you're drunk. It just means you're looking at a very different timeline than most business. I mean, this is a huge deal on our financials and planning and all that stuff, which is, all right, well, we're doing something and it's awesome, but we're not going to see it for a decade. And, um, you know, coming from retail, coming from any number of backgrounds of people in this building, it's new to look in that perspective. So I was about to say, I put my bourbon goggles on about three to four nights a week. So yeah, <laughs> those are the other type of bourbon goggles. <laughs> yeah. So one of the big parts of the distillation process and, and making a superior product 
is the water source. And you can go around a lot of different distilleries and they'll talk about the springs they have and the waters that they have on the on their grounds. Now, this is this is an urban distillery, as you had mentioned before, right? You're in the heart of heart of Newport, pretty much like I can throw a football to downtown Cincinnati. Well, maybe maybe I'll punt punt cat. Yeah, punt, you punt could hit a pass, golf ball but for sure. Hit a golf ball. <laughs> we'll do we'll, we'll say that. So kind of talk about uh, the unique water source and how the, you're actually pulling that into here as well. Yeah. Sure. Uh, the very first thing we did when the owner said, let's do this crazy harebrained distillery project was we went looking for a better water source than the city of Newport. We were quite confident we could make perfectly good bourbon using a domestic water supply, a municipal water supply. And in fact, with only a couple exceptions, all of the large distilleries in Kentucky run either on a municipal supply or they pull straight out of a river sometimes. And they make great bourbon with that. The, the, I guess one of the myths that we like to puncture here at New Riff is the notion of the limestone spring. You have to make it from limestone water here in Kentucky. That's why it's so good, you know. And it's a burbling spring with water trickling in the moonlight, gathered by virgins. <laughs> and that's how we make our fine bourbon here at the ginormous plant. It's not the case at all. They run on municipal waters. So... Uh, we would run on Newport City water if we had to, but we, we went investigating what could there be on this site that would be a better source. And we, we found, to our surprise, we had no idea, we were sitting on top of an aquifer. Uh, it's called the alluvial aquifer, so it's a river-related aquifer. And over the centuries and the eons of time, water from the Ohio River filters down through the rocks and the clay and, and everything into this aquifer that is about 100 feet beneath uh, the distillery. Uh, the aquifer runs up and down the river, both sides of the river. There's nothing special about it. Lots of people drill into it. There's other aquifers on other river. I'm sure there's a Mississippi alluvial aquifer, things like that. So we have this aquifer sitting right below us. It gives us uh, good, clean, tasty, very hard water. There's a lot of calcium carbonate dissolved in this water. Um, very hard water. And just as important, it's cold. 58 degrees Fahrenheit every day of the year. So unlike a lot of distilleries that run on a municipal water supply, uh, they, they have to deal with that water warming up sometimes. They have to chill that water before they use it in their processes, like cooling down the mash after we boil the corn or condensing the alcoholic vapor in the still back into a liquid. All of those things require cold water. By leveraging a geothermally cold source of water, we shrank the requirements for our cooling facility. And we just have a very small cooler, uh, really chiller that, that keeps a little cold water for us. And then we also obviously recognize a huge energy savings uh, on, on how much uh, electricity we have to use to chill all that water. So uh, when we found it's, the it's aquifer... It's green. We, we didn't do it setting out that way, but it, it is green, is. yeah. That aquifer became the, the well, the 100-foot deep well that we run. It, it became like the, the axis that this whole record spins on. It informed everything we did and, and changed the layout of the whole plant. It's yeah, tremendous. It's, a, it's this little cap in the parking lot. On tours, people always want to know, where's the well? Like, you know, it's this beautiful <laughs> rock thing out in the hillside, but it's not. It's no, just it's like a manhole. A, a manhole <laughs> in the parking lot. But I mean, we get, what, 500 gallons per minute? 500 gallons a minute I mean, of, everything, of nice water. In, everything in the building besides the boiler runs on the well water, which is awesome. And we only pay for what goes back into the sewer, which saves a tremendous amount of money. I mean, it is, uh, like Jay saying, kind of the unsung hero. Maybe we should build 
a beautiful like well oh i wanted entry. A, i wanted a little fountain out there right it, but it would take up a parking spot that right. you, it's that's what i believe there was, that. there was a camry parked on top of it right. before right, we, right. We, we were looking in here <laughs> parking yeah so another thing that, that you always notice when you walk around here you know you guys are, are, are very new you had as we said before you had a chance to be able to say well we can look at our ancestors of bourbon and be able to say okay we can make we can make calculated decisions to this is how we want to be able to do things and you walk around here uh you don't really see any computer monitors you don't see like regular regular or automations of regulations of temperature and all these other things that are just doing it hands off and you guys went with a very manual approach so kind of talk about what that means to you to kind of keep this uh i don't know artisanal i guess you could say yeah well I'll say that it's changed a bit since we started. Um, part of it, again, is our size. You know, we're, we we make quite a few barrels, but not, what do we make, 3,500 barrels for ourselves a year. You know, Bean yeah, makes we, almost 2,000 a day. So they yeah. one of it is just pure size. But I'll let Jay get into our actual, we do have some light automation a right. little bit. When we opened the place, uh, we intentionally wanted to have a, a, a manually operated distillery. Valves, steam flow, uh, cooling apparatus, everything would be turned by hand. Not because we're so cool or because it's sissy to use a computer. Mostly because we needed to learn how to run it, you know. None of us had ever run a place like this. We didn't want to interface with all of this equipment just through a computer screen in an office somewhere. Uh, and so we learned to run the distillery by by touch. Uh, some great master distiller said it might have been Jim Rutledge. You run a distillery with all your senses, you know, not just not, certainly not through a computer screen. So uh, we feel vibrations in the floor. If, if a pump is acting up or or something isn't feeling normal for that that process, we can feel it. You run a distillery with your ears all the time. We are listening to things. I'll hear something change and jump up from my desk and go and see what. Why does that sound different? What's about to break? You know, is that pump clogged? Just so you run the place with your ears. We did install just a couple pieces of automation on the cooker, like how much water goes in the cooker. And we have a set point controlling that. And that prevented anyone from the boneheaded move, which I would have been the first to do probably, of overfilling the cooker with too much water, which is really, really a problem. And now we do have a few other pieces of automation that control things like how much steam goes to the still, how fast does the beer go into the still, uh, what's the temperature in the fermenter? Those things are now controlled. And it, it, it's very common sense sort of controls that prevent us from having to come in here on a Saturday to monitor the temperature of the fermenter. It right. makes for a little more consistency. And those are the, you know, some of it is monitoring more than control. Even like the fermenters, yeah. we can now, Brian or Jay or whoever's at home is on call over the weekend can see what temperatures a, ferment, a fermentation tank is at. They can't change it from their phone. But it just, as Jay's saying, you know, people don't have to stop down all weekend anymore to check on it. And even what's in the still, it's instead of babysitting the still every second, you know, it gives people five or 10 minutes. They can attend to other stuff and pop back in. So it actually runs semi-automated. It runs more consistently too. When you turn on the steam to the cooker, for example, that's a huge draw on our boiler. And if we can open that very gradually controlled by a set point, uh, it makes everything else run smoothly. And the, the still likes it that way. We put out a product at 135 proof plus or minus 0.3 or 4 proof every day. I mean, it's bang on the proof almost never wavers. So it, it's uh, it's now just tuned in a little bit. 
well, all these things have come together and I had a chance to actually taste the new make and I appreciate it. And it was, it was some of the best that I've had. I was like, I've only been to a few distilleries and had the new make. And this was, this was, it was fantastic for what's coming out of here. But this is, this is all part of the process of starting a new distillery and waiting, right? Yes, so the, the waiting, the waiting is the hard part, but you also have to have some sort of revenue and income happening at, at some point. And you guys sell a product called OKI. So mm-hmm. kind of talk about what is OKI, what does it stand for, and all these other pieces. And it's probably one of the more well-known ones, uh, at least for the people that are in this area. Yeah. I mean, I'll let Jay speak to OKI. Sure. Um, well, OKI is... Oh, Kenny, I'm sorry. You're not from around here. That stands for Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, <laughs> which here in, in tri-state, greater Cincinnati, northern Kentucky, that's our little corner of the world, right? Uh, OKI is sometimes referred to in this region. So uh, we wanted a, a product, an aged whiskey, to be able to sell while our stuff was aging. Uh, it, it's, I suppose it's nice to make a little money that way, but principally it was to, to have a standard bearer to have a conversation starter, to be able to walk into a bar and say, we're New Rift Distilling, our bourbon isn't here yet, we are waiting four full years before we release any of our whiskeys, but uh, here is a, a, a now 10-year-old that we bottle and we'd like to meet you, and, and it, it becomes, it's just great to have a finished, aged, fantastic product while your own stuff is, is aging up. Uh, it's not something that will be someday switched out with our product. The goal is not to, uh, to, to bring our own stuff online and start putting that in an OKI bottle. Uh, OKI will probably die when our supply of barrels goes away. The barrels, we bought several hundred uh, barrels of whiskey, I think it was in 2011, from what was then Lawrenceburg Distillers, Indiana, LDI, uh, the great Seagram's Distillery in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, and uh, bought several hundred barrels from them in order to have this stock. Uh, it was five years old and six years old then, and uh, now it's uh, it's 10, and that's OKI. Uh, it's something that we select the barrels, put them together into a, a small vatting. It's about three to five barrels go into each batch of OKI. We also barrel a small amount of them as single barrels. And um, it is bottled without chill filtration, which is a practice that we are committed to in the long run. We don't own a chill filter. We can't even chill whiskey. <laughs> okay, we could not chill filter of our life dependent on it. So uh, those kind of, of processing of bottling practices are merely an illustration of what our stuff will be like down the road uh, in terms of a commitment to quality. Uh, with a concomitant higher proof, we're going to have to sell our whiskey at. 97, 98, maybe 100 proof. We don't know, but it, but it will have to be a little higher proof to also be unchill filtered, but we're committed to it. Yeah. And I'll say that OKI, uh, the gin Jay mentioned earlier, we also sell a little bit of our unaged bourbon and rye, the new make. All of those things are kind of part of a, a budget puzzle, which also includes we have an event center in the building, which I don't know if you guys got a, a chance to peek at it, but has been an enormous success off the bat. We've got two event spaces that we run programming out of, so tastings, dinners, you name it, but also are rented. And I mean, um, the idea there was to bring people into this building to meet us, to learn, to taste, to have a positive experience. We hope that is a marketing tactic that works that everyone that's been here for their friend's wedding, they had a great experience at new riff, maybe in a few years when they see that bottle on the shelf, um, they kind of remember it, but also, you know, we are in a very unique position having one owner who 
has allowed us to wait four years for product and that we're in the financial position between our products, the event center. We also own a small brewery called Eight Ball Brewing which is literally in the back of the party source. Um, we do some contract work and all those things put together have allowed us to kind of move forward and be patient. And that's uh, really, really hard to do. And I actually think it's something that is extremely important and we're all happy to be able to stand on is that we really are in a unique position to wait until we think this stuff is ready. And um, it's not a cut on anyone else that's putting out two-year-old, especially brand new, smaller distilleries. I mean, it's so difficult to keep things afloat without selling anything. And um, because these other pieces keep us going, we're, we're going to wait until it's ready and mature. And we think it's proper to be introduced into the world. And that I think is um, unique and also difficult. I mean, We've been open for two and a half years. Of course, there were years of planning before then, but sometimes it feels like, man, we've been doing this for a while. We're still going to wait another two years before any new Rift bourbon arrives out in the world. So um, the OKI is a piece of that. And, you know, people come into this place and they want bourbon. It's a bourbon distillery, for God's sake. So the fact that we have a great 10-year-old, it's also a high rye mash bill. I mean, they're, it's not exact to what we do here, but similar. Um, you know, it is it is a placeholder and a standard bearer for us to say, this is what we're aiming for. Wish we could take credit for distilling it, but um, it's it's lovely to have around. So that's one thing that I, I really loved about the website is that you guys are very transparent about it as well. Like, you know, the, the LDI and MGP, they're, they're just, they're, it's a massive place and, and everybody kind of knows, but a lot of people try to cover it up. They try to cover it up and be like, oh no, that, that wasn't us, right. right? But you guys embrace it. You kind of tell it how it is. And, and I think that's it's always great for transparency purposes. So the next thing I want to talk about is another thing on the website called the Ranger Program. So kind of yeah. talk about that. So the Ranger program. So this was another one of those kind of cockamimi ideas that came right from Ken's, you know, drive home, um, which has been really fun for us. So our Ranger program, it's essentially a membership club. <clears throat> and the way it works is let's say you were going to sign up to be a, a new Riff Ranger this month. It's November 2816. Uh, it's $60 to become a lifetime member, and you are getting a bottle of single barrel of our production in four years. So we're vowing to you that we're going to pick the best single barrel we made in the month of your Ranger membership, and bottle it up, and it goes to our Ranger. It's a lifetime membership, though. So you get the bottle once, but for perpetuity, you get a discount in our gift shop. We tell our rangers about rare releases first. Um, we have special events for them. And the minute we bottle our first bourbon, so sometime summer, fall 2018, the program ends. So the idea is we're kind of building this early crew of investors, people who are excited, are kind of early adopters. And we hope that in 30 years, this group of rangers are so proud and excited about what we've done that they can say, wow, I really helped them get going. And we love those guys. I mean, we do every year. We've got about 3,000 rangers right now. Um, of course, like I said, that program ends in 2018. So that's a finite number. We won't have any more rangers after that. We do a thing called Ranger Day, which we invited them in to taste the one-year-olds. We invited them in to taste the two-year-old and only for rangers. No one else in the public is tasting these products. Um, we actually did a really fun barrel finish on OKI. We put some OKI in beer barrels that had once had OKI. It was like they had OKI, then we aged beer in them, then we dumped them, we aged OKI, and we did a release. We sent it to the rangers. They bought all of it. <laughs> like, you know, it never even made it out into the world, which was kind of cool that they're a uh, 
very excited group. We love them. And um, it's a great gift. We sell about half of them as gifts. So you get uh, this beautiful hand letterpress certificate now. Um, and then, of course, you get the information and the emails. We send notes out specifically to rangers, just, you know, Jay's tasting notes or what's going on in the building. And then in four years from whenever you join, so you're tied to your class, you're a fall or you're a, you know, November 16 Ranger, you'll get to come in and get your bottle in four years. And so we'll be giving out Ranger bottles until 2022 because which hypothetical, which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. But we're, you know, we're planning on having bottling parties for those guys and it is just, you know, it's fun that people are excited and, you know, yeah, it, we're looking forward to making them proud for a It's a, long a combination time. of, of, crowdfunding and a reward to our early adopters, you know, the people who came here first and believed in us and also a bit of a reward to, uh, to the locality. We, we can't ship the Ranger bottles anywhere. We, so if you're visiting from Washington state, you're going to have to come back here in four years to get your, your Ranger bottle. So right. it, it's really a reward to, uh, the people here in the tri-state. Yeah. And like I said, we have lots of people who I can't tell you how many times there's someone who comes in and they buy them for their husband and for their three sons. And they're all excited about the idea of in four years coming back together to get their bottles. Um, it's it's a it's a really cool program. We have a lot of fun with those guys. Well, it's fantastic. So we're wrap, we're going to wrap up a little bit, but I want to pose one last question to you all. Now, again, this is in the heart of a city, and I don't know about the distilling history that's taken place in this part of the country up in northern Kentucky. So kind of talk about what it means to have a distillery like this in Newport, which is right next to Cincinnati. Right. Like, what's it mean to the city and all this other kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, uh, in, I'll let Jay go into the great historical detail. But I'll say for us, you know, we think that being a, a distillery, a Kentucky bourbon distillery, that's also part of a, you know, two and a half million person metro area is maybe one of the best places for a craft distillery in the world. This is an urban distillery. We do things, you know, uh, on the experimental edge often. And we just, I mean, a vast majority of our customers are from Cincinnati. So to be able to kind of be a part of an urban renewal of this whole city, I mean, it's happening in, you know, the Rust Belt all over the country. Uh, Louisville, Lexington, everyone's kind of having this urban renaissance. And it's really, really fun to be a part of that while doing something very traditional. So, you mentioned the food scene earlier. I mean, we are literally five minutes away from just 20, 30, 40 fantastic restaurants and being able to work with their bartenders and their mixologists. And, you know, Louisville's the same way. There's so much good food and drink going on that being on the production end of that is just really, really fun and really exciting. And of course, nationally, being in Kentucky is a big deal for bourbon. So when we go to Chicago, eventually, when we go to New York, when we go to the West Coast, you know, we are a Kentucky bourbon distillery. So we kind of have our home market, which is really fun to be a part of. And then that, that, it brings clout. It brings clout. It does. It brings clout. And I think there's something that's indescribable about Kentucky and bourbon. There's just people's family. There's tradition. There's something in the air and the water that just kind of happens. And it's special. No, no matter what. I think there are people making great bourbon in Oregon. But there's something very special about doing it in Kentucky that is like... I heard it was the limestone water. <laughs> yeah, other otherworldly, but there's actually there's Jay. I'll tell you. I mean, he could go on for hours about the actual history of whiskey making sure. up here. Uh, well, don't make it an hour. Just give it a few minutes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, um, OKI is actually a, a fantastic example of of that. Uh, for us, it's a local whiskey. It's distilled in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. If if you look at the map, that's right here in 
in greater Cincinnati. It's on the Belt Highway. It's one of the cities that ring uh, greater Cincinnati. So for us, OKI is distilled by a, another local distillery. We were even trained by the retired master distiller from uh, the Indiana distillery, the, the best in the business. His name is Larry Ebersalt. So we have some, some real local roots there. But actually, digging deeper than that, uh, Cincinnati has a huge, a tremendous history of, of uh, whiskey production. A hundred years ago, 120 years ago, uh, this was Greater Cincinnati was the preeminent whiskey mart in the whole country. Uh, tons of whiskey from Ohio and Indiana, but a lot from Kentucky came up to Cincinnati and went back out to the world. There were 75 odd production companies up here. Some of them were distilleries, uh, some even in Newport here, but some were also uh, bottlers who owned the distilleries in Kentucky. If you look at old ads and industry circulars from those days, you see all these distilleries, the names of which we still know today that at the time were owned by a Cincinnati company. So we have a rich, a, a really huge tradition of that here, uh, of which the Indiana distillery is really the last standing example. That distillery site has been in production, except for prohibition, since 1847. It's, it's today a gigantic factory of fantastic whiskey, but the roots of it go way, way, way back to that. And that has been lost. I grew up here in Cincinnati. I'm a whiskey fan since, again, I shouldn't say, and I knew nothing of this history. I knew about Cincinnati's brewing history, but I didn't know we were sitting on top of such a wealth of, of this legacy. So that's something we'd like to bring back to greater Cincinnati and to northern Kentucky is, yes, we make a lot of very good bourbon up here too. Thank you very much. The rest of Kentucky, uh, we'd like to underscore that tradition and teach people about yeah. it. Oh, fantastic. Again, want to say thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Jay, for coming on the show today. If people want to learn more about New Riff, uh, how do they do it? How do they follow you on social media, website, all that yeah. sort of thing? Uh, social media, all of our handles are at New Riff, R-I-F-F. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the website's newriffdistilling.com. Um, but really the best way is to come up here and, and say hi. Uh, our tours are free Thursday through Sunday. You can book them ahead of time online. We have tons of events going on all the time, also on the website. And, you know, we, we meet so many people who have taken a day trip from Louisville, from Lexington, from Columbus, because there's so much to do up here. Jay just made a note about the brewing history of Cincinnati. This is a beer town first and foremost. And, um, there's plenty to do. There's plenty to do up here. It's a fun place to eat and drink and explore and uh, just come by. We'll show you around. Well, fantastic. And join the Ranger program, right? Join the Ranger program. It's a good Christmas gift. If I don't know when you're going to get this up, but um, it makes a really fun gift. Well, awesome. Uh, again, follow them on all those social media channels. Follow Bourbon Pursuit on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Bourbon Pursuit. If you like what you hear, make sure you support the show at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. If you have any suggestions or have another guest, please send us an email, the duo, T-H-E-D-U-O at birdpursuit.com. And we will see you all next week. Mm -hmm.